You're listening to the MEX Podcast, where we explore user behavior, emerging technologies, and how to design better digital experiences. So your fingers much more naturally can transition from the top row of the, of the, of the keyboard to the bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. So the screen then becomes um, uh, an extension of the keyboard, if you like. Hello, I'm Marek Pawłowski, founder of Mex, and that was Martin Ridderford, a founder of the London-based design agency, Therefore, and the designer of Gemini, which is this new keyboard-based palm-top communicator, which is set to bring back a, a much-loved form factor to the mobile industry. Now, I had the chance to spend an afternoon with Martin and Davide Guidi, the CTO of Planet Computers, this the company which is going to be selling this Gemini device, at Therefore's design studio in London. And what I saw there was really quite exciting. This is the first mobile device for some time that looks like it could provide something genuinely different to a niche, but a very motivated niche group of users who want the power to create meaningful content on the move. And it was also a bit of a special moment for me personally, because of Martin's involvement with another device and another company 20 plus years ago. But I think that part is probably going to need a bit of a, a history lesson, which I'll come back to in a second. So before we get up into this discussion with Martin and, and Davide, uh, let me get you up to speed on all of the good things which have been going on in our MEX community. So first off, uh, we had the first in a, a new series of MEX gatherings. I think I mentioned this on the, the last episode of the podcast when we were planning it. Uh, this one was a breakfast in New York at the end of November, and we got together to catch up on all the latest things going on in experience design. It was a, a really lovely smart group of people who came along. Some have been guests on the podcast previously, some have been to MEX conferences in London in the past, uh, some of them were just people who are fans of, of this show. And the whole point of these gatherings is really just to provide a, a relaxed space where people can share ideas, uh, talk about emerging trends which are catching their interest. And the only role I set for myself there is to try and help with a few introductions uh, so as to make sure people who are coming along who I suspect will get a lot out of talking to each other, get to meet each other, meet the right people. Uh, and I also send around a question to everyone who's attending in advance to get them thinking about things that they might like to discuss. And in New York, the question was simply, when will digital design be capable of interacting with all of our human senses. And as I'd kind of hoped, this expanded out to a bunch of different tangents during the course of the the event. We talked about what it means for design agencies uh, and how teams at design agencies need to start bringing in skills which allow them to go beyond just visual UI design and user experience design. Another conversation um, began to look at ideas around how we might use these multi-sensory design techniques to play with notions of time and efficiency in e-commerce scenarios. Uh, and we got into a pretty rich and interesting scene about the ethics of all of this, you know, especially as digital experiences begin to touch us on a deeper emotional level. 
um, how might we need to change the language and the expectations about the kind of metrics that we use to measure user response. So it's a great event, and I thoroughly enjoyed meeting everyone there. Uh, the next one is going to be in London uh, towards the end of January, and that's going to be a dinner this time around. Now, if you'd like to be first on the list to get an invitation, uh, all you need to do is drop me an email. The address is designtalk at mobileuserexperience.com, uh, and I'll be in touch to let you know the date and the venue. So let's see what else is new. Uh, our next jobs board is continuing to grow. Now this is our service to connect people like you, uh, all the talented designers and strategists and technologists out there in the community with companies that are hiring and share that same belief in user-centered design. You can check out all the jobs we've got listed there currently at mobileuserexperience.com slash jobs. And there are all sorts of roles up there at the moment. Uh, there's a digital experience manager role for the fashion brand Karen Millen. Uh, there's an internship with the agency Frog Design in Munich, which kicks off in February of, of next year. Um, Plan, uh, who are a London-based agency, are hiring a senior UX strategy consultant. Now, they do some very interesting work focusing on the intersection between physical and digital products and services particularly around the concept of mobility in cities. Uh, and they've got quite the client list as well, working with companies like Ford and Deutsche Telekom, Samsung. Anyway, go and have a look at the board and see whether your next job is waiting for you there. Uh, and if you're hiring, you can also post your roles there. It costs £139 plus VAT uh, and we'll promote it for 30 days across this podcast, um, the email newsletter, our social channels, the Mex Journal, really all of the different places we reach the Mex community. We'll promote you there for 30 days to get the word out about your roles. Right, so let's get back to Gemini and planet computers. And I probably ought to set the scene with a little bit of a history lesson here. So 20 plus years ago, mid-90s, when I first got involved in mobile technology, we were pre-smartphone. The state of the art at the time was the Scion handheld. Clamshell device, landscape orientation, the screen on the top, keyboard on the bottom, and a touch bar of application icons in the middle. I'll put some links in the show notes. You can go and take a look at what I'm talking about here. And this was what got me hooked on mobile and digital experiences. They were amazing little devices. You, know, you could do proper document creation, databases, games, sketching. You could even write apps for them directly on the Scion itself. But these were all coming from a pre-internet and pre-cellular legacy. They were designed to be the best mobile computers they could be, but within their own confines. They weren't really set up for the coming age of smartphones and, and cellular connectivity. So Scion as a consumer products company faded away while the software expertise that it had in really efficient, well-designed mobile operating systems ended up being spun off into a separate venture called Symbian. And that laid the foundations for the first few generations of smartphones from the likes of Nokia and Motorola and Ericsson, who dominated the world of, of mobile telephony at the time. And as Scion's consumer business faded, so too did the availability of these 
types of devices, these clamshell, productivity-focused, keyboard-based mobile computers to the point where we just don't really see them out there on the market anymore. Now, how does all of this tie up with Martin Ridderford and Davide Guidi, my guests on the podcast today? Well, it was Martin and his design consultancy, therefore, who did a lot of the product design work on those original sound handhelds, including designing the innovative Series 5 keyboard, which became a bit of a benchmark for keyboard quality on, on mobile devices. And about a year or two ago, Planet Computers, where Davide is the CTO, was formed, and they set about figuring out how they could create a Scion-style palm-top communicator for the modern age. And what they arrived at is this Gemini device, 4G connectivity, Android-based, you know, all the latest memory and processor specs, massive battery, and that high-quality, clicky, QWERTY keyboard, all delivered in a clamshell package, which is actually way, way sleeker than the Scion ever was. So they got it crowdfunded in April of this year, and they raised about three times the money that, that they needed. Uh, and the first commercial units are due out in just a couple of months' time, so January 2018, January of next year. So for me, this was interesting on a couple of levels. You know, Firstly, it was a chance to see early pre-production units of the Gemini in action, get my first look at a device which fills what I think is a really underserved niche for creativity-focused, keyboard-based smartphones. And secondly, it was a chance to meet the guy who designed the Scion, which, you know, this is a device without which I probably never would have ended up in the career that I've had. So I hope you enjoy the discussion, uh, and apologies in advance for the slightly sketchy sound quality in parts. Unfortunately, we're recording in a little bit of an echoey room. Anyway, here we go. One of the things I'm particularly curious about is who you had in mind as the user of this product when you started launching the funding campaign and getting it out there in the market. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a very interesting question because there's an obvious answer, uh, which is there's been um, the, the, the old Scion hasn't died. Lots of, uh, there's lots of ex-users out there who, um, you know, it's almost been their favorite device, hardware device, and they um, are missing it and would just love uh, to get an opportunity to use something similar um, right now. So there was always going to be um, a hardcore of, of um, um, devoted users that we could call on. And then there's another vertical um, market, which is coders. So, uh, and that's the reason why we've got the Linux um, um, operating um, platform in there as well. So um, this is the idea of dual boots <coughs> between both Android and, and Linux? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. But um, <clears throat> I was very keen that we um, tried to popularise it beyond those two uh, markets. And so we've been, we've been looking at how we do that. And um, one of the ways is to try and um, envisage this product not as um, a rebirth of something that existed 20 years ago, but it's a coming together of two types of computing. So we're sort of saying we're merging the world of smartphones with the world of laptops uh, to, to create a new, very useful um, type of tool. 
So this is trying to put a positive spin or a modern spin on what could be taken as a retro device. But actually, if you see it in those, in those um, terms, it's, uh, it's an amazingly powerful unit. Have you had feedback directly from users so far which has helped to evolve the design from that original vision? Uh, because, there's a, because it's a, been a crowdfunded project, we get a lot of feedback from people. But typically the people who buy into uh, um, the, the promise of a crowdfund are um, incredible enthusiasts because they're willing to uh, back something which may not happen and it may not happen in the way they want and it might take longer to get there than they, uh, they imagined. So they're, they're backing on a promise, if you like. Um, so uh, they are um, an incredibly um, knowledgeable and enthusiastic group, but they're not necessarily representative of the, uh, of the group that we might be selling to in a year's time, say. So we're very aware of the fact that we, um, we have this devoted group that we're aiming it at initially, but then we want to broaden the market um, and make it a mass market product. So it sounds like you've been going through some um, iterations of the product from what you were showing me before we started recording. And what's been guiding most of the developments at each of those stages where you've gone back and said, no, we need to evolve from what we had before? What's been your main source of inspiration and input there? Well, initially, um, the, the biggest uh, hurdle to overcome was to uh, create a, uh, a package size which was as small and thin as possible. So um, right in the early days of this project, we knew that we wanted to get a Scion-like keyboard, which is about 6mm thick, into this uh, package. We, we wanted to squeeze um, a, a, a double-sized battery in there and we wanted to have all the functionality of a smartphone with um, stereo speakers, uh, etc. So it was always a challenge to make this product um, um, feel very, very slim um, and be very slim. So one of the challenges we set ourselves right at the beginning was um, right, basically the keys have got a 1.2 millimeter travel, which gives them a very nice tactile feedback. But um, that's, as it were, space uh, is, makes the, the product 1.2 millimetres thicker. Mm -hmm. So what we um, investigated doing was squashing the keys when we close the product. So when you close the product, the keys squash by a millimetre, in fact, and there's magnets along the front edge which keep it um, uh, squashed. And when you say squat, what do you mean? As in they, they all the keys, all the keys are pushed down by the display. Uh, uh, which is a very unusual thing to do, but it gains us a millimetre in thickness. Mm -hmm. means then that we have a keyboard which is uh, proud of the surface it, it sits in, or the frame it sits in, um, which means the keys are nice and accessible, whereas most keyboards uh, on laptops are in a recess, uh, so that when you close the product you get a nice neat split line. With this we get a neat, neat, a neat split line, but the keys are compressed by the screen, further in so that we're not actually carrying any air in this overall thickness. So is that an innovation of thinking in the design process which has enabled you to do that or is that something which has changed technologically since you did the Scion keyboard which has allowed you to... Yeah we've never... Have, like uh, obviously in the Scion product we were making it as thin as possible but mm -hmm. um, we were um, sort of virtually twice as thick 
yeah. then as you we had are more now. space to play with. Yeah, that, so yeah. now we're, you're fighting for um, you know fractions of millimetres. As I, I remember doing an interview talking about the sign. We were talking about fractions of millimetre millimeter then, but <laughs> even more so now. So, um, so having established where everything was going to go, uh, we set a, a space package uh, in terms of the thickness that uh, we thought was achievable, and um, we pressed on all of our partners that this was a really important target to stick to because from previous experience it's easy just to relax a little bit and then you find you know it's it's two millimeters thicker than you wanted it to be so uh, it's been a uh, you know an endless battle to keep that thickness uh, and we've had you know a lot of arm wrangling with uh, or you know wrangling with the uh, uh, manufacturers in order to keep keep to that target we, we actually I think we ended up 0.5 thicker or something than we originally targeted, which is not bad. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about um, the way the, the, the software, which you say is Android or, or Linux, it can also boot into as well, uh, and the, the hardware integrate into to an overall experience. Yeah, how did you find it working with, uh, say, the, the user interface flow and, and conventions that you have within something like Android, and yet being able to make an experience which was Distinctive to this this product. Yes, basically. So we tried. So our goal is, of course, to leave uh, the operating system as vanilla as possible. So to have just a few uh, a few updates, a few modifications, which allows you to uh, use the product better. And for this reason, uh, we thought one of the most important feature um, is to have basically uh, the kind of bar that the Scion uh, originally had at the bottom. Uh, which is basically an area very similar to the uh, to the taskbar that uh, you can find on Windows or, or on uh, Mac OS X, uh, where you have applications, you have sh shortcuts, and you can uh, and you can basically easily switch between applications. So uh, we done that uh, by uh, by means of having an application which allows you to um, basically to select the application you want and and and. Uh, and this, this bar with the application can be uh, called on top of any other programs. So it's always present and it can automatically hide, of course, uh, but you can use it to um, switch to any application very, very quickly and very easily. So is that a particularly important optimization because this is a keyboard-based device and the user's fingers are going to be you know, close to that point on the screen to be able yeah, to... Yeah, the, 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 there's an impo important thing that uh, we, we did on the original science which obviously carries on to this and that is because um, the, the angle of the screen is quite flat, it's, it's an open um, device rather than a laptop, often the screen is at 60 degrees to the table or whatever, this is uh, more like you know, 30 uh, 25 degrees to the table so it's a much more open device so it means then the plane of the keyboard and the plane of the screen are much closer to each other so your fingers much more naturally can transition from the top row of the, of the, of the keyboard to the bottom of the screen mm -hmm. so the screen then becomes um, uh, an extension of the keyboard if you like which you'd never imagine doing on a laptop but that really liberates um, the way that uh, you interact with the screen, and as Davida has said, um, by having this taskbar in the same way that we had on the Scion, um, you can um, very easily use your fingers 
without um, um, going over the screen. So, and all the menus and things are generally at the bottom as well. There's a secondary feature there, and that is that um, the device is stabilised by a, this over-centre hinge uh, mechanism. We have a, um, a sprung cover which goes over the spine of the product, which uh, pops into a kind of stand when, um, when you open the device. That is very stable, uh, uh, provides stability close to the hinge, but if you press the, the, the screen away from the hinge, you can tip it over backwards if you press too hard. So it makes a much more satisfactory experience pressing the, the, the screen close to the, the hinge. Uh, okay, so in a way, if you're guiding people in the, the, the software interface yeah. um, to make a physical interaction with the device in the place which is best for the overall balance. In, indeed, and also device, your yeah. fingers aren't getting in the way of the screen, and you know mm -hmm. it's, it's the obvious place to do it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but it works very nicely. So, were there specific scenarios that you had in mind um, when you were thinking about these different optimizations? Like before we started recording, you were showing me some of the things that you've done around accepting voice calls on the device, for instance, and clearly it's been designed to sit on a table in a certain way, but did you have particular sort of target scenarios in mind that you had defined at the start of the, the, the design process? Uh, I think at the beginning, we, we actually had a lot of debates about this. So at the beginning, we were saying, well, let's just make it easy uh, and have uh, it uh, imagine it's open and we're basically communicating with it when it's open. People are using it for Skype and things like that, rather than imagining that we're going to be uh, uh, taking and receiving uh, voice calls. So if, you've, if you have a voice call coming in, let's imagine that we're going to be do trying to get people to do it when it's open or using a Bluetooth headset. But as time went on, we kind of got a bit more ambitious maybe <laughs> and, said, and said well why don't we try and make it that you can um, uh, accept a voice call with it closed in a more traditional way. We'd, we'd already decided to put um, two speakers in, so stereo speakers and the, the, the thought we had was if we got those two speakers uh, in, the, in the same way that some um, uh, smartphones do um, you can um, use use the speaker as, a, as an earpiece. So if you've got these two speakers, we could have two earpieces, and that solves one of the problems that um, I've been aware of for 25 years, when, ever since we started trying to combine handheld computers with telephony, and that is that people um, don't necessarily, your brain doesn't get engaged when you pick something up. You pick it up naturally, and you do something which feels to you to be natural, um, but actually the designer hasn't thought that you're going to do that. We've always had this problem with, uh, with a, uh, a landscape device is if someone picks it up, which end do you think is the top of the device? Um, so we decided, as I say, reasonably early on when we, when we started looking at um, doing a hold-to-head device, why don't we try and make an earpiece at both ends? So depending on which uh, earpiece is most, is up, is most uppermost, um, that then becomes the earpiece that, um, that um, turns on um, the, um, the, ear, the, the sound. So uh, and you use the microphone. Something well. in um, software and sensors that... Yeah, there's a tilt sensor which basically right. determines which is up. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, so you could probably come unstuck if you're lying on your back trying to do it. <laughs> in, 
in, in, in extreme circumstances, yeah. Um, so did you think about um, some of the other touch points, digital touch points that users have in their lives now compared to say when the palm top design was in its heyday 20 odd years ago, yeah, we didn't have, for instance, things like uh, smartwatches or tablets really yeah. uh, to, to any degree at, at that stage. Um, have you thought about where something like this sits in relation to those other devices that users may now have in their lives? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, the, 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 this notion of uh, the, the, the device has got a, a life when it's open, but it's also got a life when it's, when it's closed. And typically a voice call will come in when it's closed. So we've, we've put a rudimentary uh, alert system using LEDs, uh, which you can program to, to tell you who's calling, um, if you choose to. Um, but um, equally compelling, uh, or probably more compelling, is the fact that it uh, will uh, talk to a smartwatch or um, a Fitbit or whatever, and you can then get alerts on your on your wrist, uh, which is a, a probably better a better user experience. Yeah, and potentially it's quite a potent combination. I mean, exactly. Android Wear has not enjoyed that much commercial success in the market so far, and it almost feels like this is the sort of product which gives um, a life and a validity to something like yeah. Android Wear because yeah. there hasn't really been the combination of devices out there that make it as compelling as it could be yeah. in a scenario like this. Yeah, so yeah, having a, a, a smartwatch on your wrist uh, and having Bluetooth headphones, I mean, those, those two elements are both very, very suited to this device. Yeah. Now, you've gone down the route of crowdfunding for, for this product, and I'm curious as to whether or not, you mentioned before that obviously you've got quite a community of enthusiastic users who've been giving you feedback and, and comments and so on, but has that route changed anything in the way you've gone about this commercially, the way you've bought it to manufacture and gone through those design stages? Has the crowdfunding approach influenced that at all? I would say so, yes, uh, because, so for example, one of the idea uh, we discussed about uh, designing this, this project was if to put a camera, so there is a camera of course that points inwards, so to take Skype calls for example, but we weren't at all sure about having a camera facing outwards uh, to take like snapshots of uh, like, like, a, like, a, like a camera. Yeah, the, 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 one of the reasons why we weren't sure about that is because we've got this very thin lid and then the camera would be ex existing outside of that and so leave quite a big lump More on the outside. It needs, a, it needs quite a lot of height. Correct. Disrupting the, the yeah. Disrupting the, 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 the slimness of the design. Yeah. And we, we really didn't reach any, uh, any agreement on that. And when we crowdfunded it, we had some people really asking us for a camera and we really understood that we, we had to do some modification and to allow basically uh, to create two models. So the way we uh, the way we design it at the end is uh, you see you can see it in the in the board there is this space here with a connector and basically the idea is that the user can uh, basically plug a camera module here which will come with a, with a different cover with a little bulge and uh, you know we can make the two kind of people happy the one that wants an external camera and the one that wants a pure design so that's something which is planned into the roadmap for the, the future very much so, yeah. 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 Right. Well, it, it, um, as I was uh, explaining earlier, that we have um, 
these removable covers on, on the device. So in the future, uh, we want to sell um, covers as accessories. So you remove uh, the, the default covers you get with the device and you can then flavor it yourself. So it means then that we can sell one SKU, uh, but you can flavor it. Uh, and one of the flavors um, potentially is a camera um, um, and have you thought about whether or not that camera will be integrated into a cover or will the camera be a separate module around it's, which the cover it, It's a separate module. You right. basically remove the old cover, which gives you access, and, and ascent, uh, uh, we haven't discussed it, but basically the removing that top cover gives you access to uh, the SIM card and uh, the SD card. Mm -hmm. So um, you're sort of familiar with the fact that that cover is removable. <laughs> Uh, so you clip the cover back on and uh, all well and good. If you want to upgrade, you can take that cover off and uh, with the camera module uh, will come a new cover, as, as David has said, and um, you, you clip the, uh, the, the camera module in yourself and then you put the new cover on. There is a lot about this design as you describe it to me, as I've been having a look at it here today, which strikes me as being quite modular, quite yeah. accessible either to the user or to a professional service centre, which sort of goes um, in the opposite direction to what we're seeing in a lot of other areas of, of mobile technology mm. at the moment. You know, if you look at the route that Apple and some have gone down, everything these days is very sealed. They keep getting lower and lower repairability scores on the, yeah. the various sites which um, uh, review that kind of thing. Was that a, a conscious choice that you wanted this to be something which could be upgraded, could be serviced, could be accessed by the, the users? Uh, it was a choice that we made fairly early on um, from past uh, experience. It's uh, it's great to make something which is serviceable and uh, it needs a little bit of knowledge but these days that knowledge is easily gained by looking at videos. So uh, it's not difficult for a, a, a slightly technical person to gain access to these things and people have got used to that with uh, broken screens and, and batteries failing in, in, in um, smartphones and things. You, you know, you either um, jettison the device or, or, or move it on or whatever, or you try and do something about it. And uh, we're trying to make it as easy as possible to keep the device um, alive as long as possible. Um, so, you know, by removing the back cover, for instance, you could uh, upgrade the battery. Just building on some of the things you've been saying about the, the covers, I know you have this plan to, to try and um, yeah, make them uh, removable, upgradable, that users can, can customise to, to mm. agree with it. Uh, and obviously the material of that cover um, is part of a, a tactile palette, if you like, mm. of, of the, the product. Is that something that you've considered across the um, wider design of it as well, the, the other sensory elements to it, apart from its, its physical design and outward appearance, you know, how it, how it feels to the hand, other mm. multi-sensory elements in the, the design, is that something which has been on your mind as you've gone through this process? Yeah, it's, um, it, it's a hinged device without an obvious hinge. <laughs> so a lot of uh, um, hinged devices have nooks and crannies and you know, there's usually a place for the hinge to go into. Even uh, Apple laptops, you know, there are uh, there are um, uh, areas which um, have been designed beautifully, but uh, aren't um, as smooth as you would uh, ideally like. So what we've tried to do here is um, that we have a sort of slightly um, pebble-like um, extruded form with end caps, if you like. 
that um, the, um, there's, the, the, there's two gaps, if you like, but they're very, very narrow gaps, which is where all the hinging happens. And um, it's very discreet and um, doesn't look like a hinge in, in the way that you've seen it before kind of thing. And I think that the, the world has moved on, you know, the, the, the use of magnets and folding flexible pieces in, in the surface and in other products. I think the consumers expect something more elegant than um, the, the types of laptops and things that were around, you know, 10 or 20 years ago where they had these really chunky kind of masculine um, um, mechanical features. Um, so this is a much more sophisticated, um, hidden, um, featured product. Yeah, I mean, that, having had a chance to get you know hands-on with even these uh, early samples, you know, those words of elegance and sophistication do feel right for this. Mm. You know, it, it, that form evokes those kind of ideas. But you know, when you're going through the process of creating something like this, um, do you deliberately start with words like that? I think you, uh, when you start designing these things, you have a, a, a sort of an end um, view in mind, but you have to be pragmatic because you've got to fit stuff in there, and you've got to be flexible um, in your design approach to enable things to change. So, for instance, we um, we wanted the ends of the product to be quite slim and rounded, um, but because uh, in the lid in particular, the ends of the product are crammed with antennas, speakers um, and all sorts of other things. They all need space and we were fighting for you know how much space they needed and we've tried to sleep, keep it as slim as possible um, and I think I think the end result is pretty good but it's, it's a, a tour de force in terms of fitting all of those elements in to these very slim spaces. So What's changed in you know the last few years which has made it possible to do something like this? Because there's been an enthusiasm for a product in this class, I think, for, for some time. It's yeah. been persistent really since Scion exited yeah. the market. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but I'm curious as to, you know, was there a, a coming together of certain elements either on the software side, the design side, the commercial side, which made now the to, to do like this? I, I think from, from my point of view the, 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 there is a, it is the right time um, and, and the biggest change has been that um, the people who were trying to do this kind of thing were computer companies like Simon but they never had the telephony side and the telephony side was really difficult but over time uh, since the smartphone has come along the te telephony side has become more and more uh, modularized and not straightforward but understood and there's lots of people uh, able to make a smartphone these days and we have teamed up with a Chinese company that is very adept at making um, their um, Chinese smartphones um, and to a very high quality um, so the, the knowledge about building the telephony side is quite extensive Whereas the knowledge now about putting you know, keyboards and, and mechanical bits on these products is less extensive because you know, people avoid mechanics as much as they can, you know, folding bits and pieces and moving keys and all of that kind of stuff. Everything is just you know, one slab. Um, so um, 
actually the the challenge has been more to bring the Chinese manufacturers up to up to um, speed on the um, the old-fashioned stuff like the keyboard uh, rather than um, the new stuff which is you know as I say they, they find um, is not straightforward but it's yeah. It, yeah. what about on the the software side I mean, you've got this interesting choice that you can dual boot the device between um, Android and, and Linux is that something which would have been feasible in, in the last several years or have some things happened over the last little while to make that uh, an achievable thing within a product of this nature? No, I think there have been uh, lots of progress uh, in order to run Linux on Android, absolutely. So we have now applications, we have uh, many things have been understood much better, we have um, we have libraries which allows you to use some modules of Android uh, from the Linux, like libhybris. So definitely, definitely a lot of uh, a lot of work has been done in the, in the past few years. Yeah. So one of the other things I wanted to ask about um, is the relationship between you, Martin, as a therefore the, the design agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Planet as, as a, a company and yeah, how that works. Obviously, there's a long tradition of computer companies and technology companies working in partnership with design agencies. Um, but how has that relationship evolved over time? How does it compare, for instance, to the way you would have worked with someone like Scion 20 mm-hmm. years ago and how you now work with someone like um, Planet Computing and going down the crowdfunding route yeah. today. Is, is that a, a bit of a, a change for how design agencies do their work? It is, but we've been doing our own speculative projects for quite a while. Uh, and I, my first ever commercial product was uh, something I did for a, a royalty. Right. So it was um, straight after leaving college. So I've, I've had a sort of history of to maybe taking some risks and, and, and getting more involved in something than just doing... Um, uh, and is that something which has remained <coughs> therefore as a business? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we sort of invest alongside your clients. We've, uh, yeah, we've created uh, a number of different companies, and we're doing a number of different um, uh, own um, started projects, and we collaborate with other people as well. And this is a, a case where we've collaborated. We've basically p- uh, joined together. We're all shareholders in this um, this um, new venture, um, and. Um, so we're all involved in it together. It's a small team, but um, we, we, in le- leveraging what um, the manufacturers can do, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, we can create, um, you know, amazing things in quite a short period of time. What does that mean for design agencies? Do you think for the long term um, as to how they they work with clients? Because it strikes me you've been quite forward thinking in in taking that approach in the way you, you partner up with clients that closely mm. and spinning out your own products as a design agency. Do you we, think that's something we're going to see more of from, from the agency world? Yeah, I've seen it amongst um, colleagues uh, and other design companies. Um, there's always been a, an appetite for taking a risk and, and doing your own thing, but not normally at this kind of scale. And often... Um, yeah, a less competitive market kind of thing. But, uh, you know, crowdfunding um, has really opened up the possibility of taking ideas uh, to market uh, and seeing how they fly. Um, they, they're a bit of a poison chalice in some ways because uh, you end up having to deliver a relatively small number of units in a relatively short period of time. 
um, but um, and that the, the two thousand units or whatever that we've um, got uh, funding for is never going to um, keep a company um, going, kind of thing. So it's, all you're doing is basically creating some more some some forward orders, and then you have to plan beyond that um, all the way, you know, right from the beginning. Yeah, I guess there's a bit of a virtual <coughs> cracking of the whip to that process. Yes, you've got yeah. that commitment now to. to oh yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating there. thing, and also yeah. you've got these very very engaged uh, people, uh, which is uh, which is great. Well, that was always one of the things I think historically with Scion, which was a real yeah. asset to the business, yeah. was there was that passion in yeah. the community of, of users, yeah. in the way people then developed applications yeah. for it, really quite far ahead of its time, in the exactly. way that ecosystem formed um, yeah. that we're only really now seeing come to fruition with things like Android and iOS yeah. to 20 years later. Yeah, and, and yeah, my relationship with, with Scion enabled me to get a lot of the feedback that you, you, you talk about. So over over the years, you learn the good things you've done and the bad things you've done, <laughs> and you try and <laughs> you try and learn from that and move forward. Well, I think it's really quite an achievement. I'm glad I've had the chance to um, see it, even in this you know still relatively early stage before it goes into to full commercial production. And there's one question which I always ask guests on the podcast at the end, which you can answer in whatever way you see best, um, and that is. Uh, is there anything that you've not yet had the chance to work on as a designer or an engineer um, which you would really like to get stuck into? Either a development of this product or something entirely different. I'm always curious to hear what's on people's future ambitions list, should we say? I would really love to see, you know, one of the idea behind this project, uh, as we said, was to have a modular hardware but also an open uh, really an open device that you can stretch, you can adapt to yourself. And uh, I would like to see um, more open source projects on this, so on the Linux side especially. So that's definitely something I'm looking very much forward to uh, to see flourishing on this device. So a community of enthusiasts on the software side as well as on the hardware side. But on the software side, so to see Linux, to see running um, even better than it runs now with the, uh, you know, with more applications and so on. Well, you've got the flexibility, I guess, in built into the device. Hopefully, that's a, a possibility. Yes, exactly. That's that's exactly the point. So we want to see it uh, now come to fruition, basically. Okay. What about you, Arjun? Um, well, as we have a lot of thoughts about what we would add to this product uh, in the future, and hopefully, we're going to have the opportunity to do that over the next uh, you know uh, months and years so that we can keep on improving it and, uh, and making a better product I'm actually very lucky that um, um, I'm supported by therefore and other people to sort of pursue some of my own ideas and um, it ends up as being a bit of a juggling exercise keeping them all alive but we've got two or three kind of big ideas going at the moment which we're developing and there's a, a whole um, a drawer full of other ideas which I'd love to see um, we've taken to a certain point and shown them to people and it's not quite right or whatever but um, they're good ideas so um, it's it, it, time will tell whether they actually see the light of day well, we'll be watching this space <laughs> Martin, Davide, thank you very much for your time thank you thank you Martin There we go. 
some mobile computing history and a glimpse of a future product which is bringing much needed diversity, I think, to, to the world of smartphones. If you want to see some more of the Gemini, uh, including some of the photos that I took of the pre-release hardware that I was playing with, uh, go and check out the show notes, which you can find at mobileuserexperience.com in the podcast section. And while you're there, don't forget to check out our MEX jobs board, where you can find the best roles in experience design, and you can post your own jobs to reach all the people in the MEX community. Now, one last thing. If you're enjoying the show, the best way to say thanks is to forward it on. So take a moment and have a think about who you might know who'd enjoy listening to this episode uh, and send them the link to mobileuserexperience.com so they can go and check it out for themselves. Uh, it's a really great way to help us get the word out uh, and you can help the next community continue to grow. I'll be back soon with more. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.